Hey, everybody. Hey, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. They're uh, longtime friends of the podcast and also friends of the blog. So if you go to discoposse.com, you can check out the uh, link there. Uh, but please do go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. So that's vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Uh, you can get caught up for all of your data protection needs. Remember, in case you think that the cloud is a safe place to put things, well, what backs up the cloud? So make sure you check out vee.am uh, forward slash discoposty and you can uh, get yourself hooked up with some Beam software. With that, this is the really cool conversation I had with Nathan Jones. Nathan is a just a wicked good dude. He was so fun to talk with, and he's the co-founder of White Canyon Software. Not only that, but what he's been doing is really progressing through an incredible career. Uh, so, number one, you think your data is safe? Uh, it's not. Uh, secondly, you think that you haven't found your footing in tech, and you want to kind of hear how Nathan got there. This is it. This is not only an amazing uh, podcast about data security and the perils of, of maintaining safety and data, but it's also just a really good set of lessons on, on how to set yourself up in good, uh, good tech work. So anyways, thank you, Nathan. It was a fantastic conversation. With that, enjoy the show. Hi, this is Nathan Jones. I'm a founder and vice president of sales for White Canyon Software, and this is the Disco Posse Podcast. We are uh, we're rolling. I love the fact that I get to talk with people from an incredible array of backgrounds, both in personal backgrounds and in sort of what they do today. And one of the things that having recently had John McAfee on, and we talked about privacy and data and and all, we went down a very interesting uh, sort of set of tangents around around privacy and data. You know. You know, human protection. But the one thing that I haven't spent enough time on is really around this. I focus on security, data. And so I'm lucky enough today to have Nathan Jones. Uh, Nathan, if you want to just introduce yourself to folks, and we're going to talk about White Canyon software, what you're doing with it, how you got there, and, and just all things security. <laughs> And much more, really. It's, a, it's a funny thing that people are like, oh boy, a security file. Like, no, no, trust me, you're going to like this one. <laughs> yeah, it's probably something that, that uh, a lot of people haven't ever heard of before. So we're in kind of our own little weird corner of the security uh, space. So it's probably something that people haven't considered or haven't thought of. So at least that part's uh, not going to be something that gets covered too often. My name's Nathan Jones. I, it's uh, good to be with you, Eric. Um, I'm the Vice President of Sales for White Canyon Software. Um, I've uh, been, uh, been working uh, at my current job for about uh, 15 years. I never thought I would uh, stay at any company for so long. I, my, uh, my, uh, a bit of my history, I, uh, I grew up in the uh, Northwest, grew up in the Seattle area. Dad worked at uh, Boeing and Microsoft, and his dream was for me to be a, uh, um, an electrical or a software engineer. And he was incredibly disappointed when I went down the, the dark path of, uh, of sales. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not exaggerating that he was, that was a difficult call, kind of like a coming out call, you know, where you're like, I don't know how he's going to take this. So. Uh, it's so funny how we have, uh, and I t this is a, a dichotomy of this industry is that there's this, this great fear of like that sales and technology where they collide and, and where, but I'm like, man, you, we've got to embrace this. If you don't, if you don't sell the thing that you do, then, then you aren't doing it. Right. And like Elon Musk had this when he was on the Rogan podcast recently he says, you know, if you aren't building something, then it's not getting made. And we need more builders, right? We need people to sell things. We need people to build things. Like, good guy, we need to just stop with the sort of like the breakdown of like, oh no, you're you're a salesperson. Like, we're all in sales. We're all in sales. Let's just get over that. Some of this, some of them aren't compensated for being in it, but you're all in sales. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's not. I'm not in sales because I. Uh, I, uh, I'm in sales because I really couldn't hack it on the uh, coding side. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I looked around in my, uh, my 400 level classes, just I was right there sitting at the very top of the bell curve. And I, I just had this moment of realization while I was hunting for a semicolon that I had missed putting in somewhere. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I enjoyed I enjoyed the tech industry so much and I really wanted to find a spot for, uh, I really wanted to find a spot where I could be happy. And uh, I was, I was, I, uh, I paid for my way through school uh, selling pest control door to door. And so that I, I, the only thing I knew I was quite good at was, uh, was sales. And uh, before I walked out the door, someone caught me and said, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe you could uh, help us out on the sales side instead of the, the, uh, the dev side. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a, it was a big realization where I, I, I just, I, I didn't want to do something I was going to be average at. And there you're in the business of something that can't be average. The, the idea of certified verified data security and destruction, uh, is, you know, and, let's get into to what your what your team's doing and we'll talk about that and then i, I will we'll definitely going to circle back on uh from pest control to data destruction and the path in between <laughs> i never really put any that connected that together until it was said right back back yeah. <laughs> they're kind of the same yeah now the the if i look at you know what are the biggest risks today around around data uh and and really uh, this is gonna be stuff that's obviously top of, should be top of mind for folks but maybe isn't because you know, sometimes even though they know it they don't necessarily know the net effect of when that when it's breached you know what the risks are and and just because it's not in the news doesn't mean it's not happening right no that's exactly right these are these are one of those situations where a lot of times when something happens, it's one of the most devastating things that can happen. It's, it's information, the kind of information that gets leaked if you're not properly handling your data destruction at the end of life is, it's catastrophic. And it, when it does happen, you only, you only get reports of maybe one in 10, one in a lot more than 10. It's, it's an embarrassing thing because it's so, 
it's so simple and it's something that you just expect someone to uh, to deal with. And when it happens to a major corporation, as it, our call volume goes up substantially every time one of these stories actually hits the news because uh, it's just a, a, a call to everyone that uh, that this is something you got to make sure you're taking care of. And those are the compelling events that you very certainly, there's things you don't want to have, you know, as a description of your company in the news. And it's like, I was talking like the labels I never want to have on me are things like embattled. That's a phrase that whenever you hear that, it's, it's never a good description of, of something. And the, yeah. when, when you talk about like, so data destruction, in my own history, so I used to do data center ops and server ops for God, far more years than I'd like to admit I've been alive and working. But we actually had situations where we would like send back and we were using a, a, a provider. I'll, 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 you won't use names, but we would send back systems to this provider and then they would send us back like, oh yeah, this one was DOA, send it back. And, and we actually got a system that was marked as like, all right, here's your, your refresh, your new system. Not not renewed, but it was marked as new, and we we of course they do configuration on it, so they actually open it, make sure that they health check the hardware. So you're not getting a sealed box; you yeah. get a box that was sealed that's been cut by a guy that you trust. Yeah. And then we open the box that was opened by the guy that we trust, and I start up the system, and I find my corporate image on it. Yeah. Because they had all, they had gone, recycled some drive, tossed it into a pile, grabbed said drive, put it back into my new to you machine, sold it back to me as new. And we suddenly, only by the sheer, you know, a plurality of accidents aligning, where it's able to say like, okay, what's your real operational flow? for this stuff and let's dig into the contract and what you just, you just violated. And <laughs> yeah, because it's one, it's one of those things where anything unexpected is unacceptable because, yeah. and maybe there, there wasn't any personal data, but the, just the fact that there is something when someone else's logo pops up on your screen, when you fire it up, you're like, Oh no, this, yeah. is, <laughs> this is really, really bad. And you're ab absolutely right because then then you're like, okay, we really have to figure out how something like this could have possibly happened. Yeah, and and you you hope in all hopes that you are the only recipient of your data because you think, well, they're not only managing my hardware, they're managing other large corporations and whatnot. And and I tell you, that's that's where the the fear comes in, both at the corporate level and even at the personal level. You know, I I got a stack of hard drives in my house because I certainly don't want to trust putting them anywhere. You know, I, I've got nothing to hide, but I've also got plenty that could be found. Yeah, yeah, very well. There's a big difference between those two things and, and that. So <clears throat> talk about kind of the methods and the approach that, that your team takes and, and you know, let's work, as, work backwards as to why that's necessary. Yeah, obviously when something shows up on your desk and it's still got a corporate image or it's got personal information, something has gone horribly wrong. And, uh, and working backwards from there, uh, there's, there's so many steps that these, uh, that IT, we call them ITADs, IT asset disposal companies. And there's, there's big ones and small ones and local ones and, 
and people use uh, use them all the time. The uh, we uh, we at White Canyon uh, we provide a tool that is used for securely overriding the data on those drives. And frankly, the the entire trend in this space is that corporate and government are are wanting to wipe these devices before they even leave their loading docks. So before it even uh, before it even leaves Amazon or whatever company you're you're working for, before it leaves your possession, you want to make sure that there is nothing on there because even if it even if you can blame someone else, even if you can blame your iTab, even if you could sue someone else because they mishandled your, it's still going to be your name in the paper and it's still going to be an embarrassment. It's going to get splashed on you no matter how uh, incompetent the person was that you put in charge of it. And then, then there's a question is, why did you hire someone incompetent? And it always comes back to you. So before uh, an asset leaves, uh, you want to run a tool like ours uh, on the device to make sure that there's nothing left before it leaves your possession. Now, the we always have this vision that you can just go and basically pull the office space kind of like printer destruction routine on it and and you're you're good to go burn the office down yeah but in the end you that that doesn't actually do it you know these things are bloody resilient with which is great when you need them to operate but it's not good when you you need your data to not be on them right (laughs) it is shocking how much data these labs can get back with uh with drives that look like they are completely destroyed. And I, I had this, I wouldn't call it genius, but I thought it was at least a decent idea. I wanted to do a uh, kind of a will it blend viral video where we, we wiped a drive and then we backed over a drive with a, with a, you know, a semi truck. And we said, all right, wipe drive, you can't get anything off of it. The semi truck, oh, we still found this, this, and this. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's shocking even when, and that's why, the specifications on physical destruction, they, they're every year they're tightening up and saying they got to be ground down to this fine of a powder because if, if somebody knows that, that, that there's something interesting there, it's amazing what they can do. Yeah, I always find the only time you can't get data back in using these methods is when you need it. Like I, I've actually, we used to use Ghost. So I'm dating myself again, right? Doing for like image replication between corporate desktops. And then you'd accidentally like ghost a drive and you're like, oh no, we needed to get something off it. And then you would take it to like a data recovery specialist and they would basically say like, it's going to be 3000 bucks. And we don't know what the outcome's going to be because we got to spend some effort. And we were able to recover, you know, some data sometimes and, and, and sometimes not. Uh, it was, you know, varying successes. But the fact is it's more than zero chance of recovering data, which was supposedly a zeroed, you know, a written zero write drive. Like this thing should have been wiped from end to end. Yeah, so this, much for that. <laughs> data ratio is not even like a six sigma, you know, it, it's got to be, you know, what it's a zero percent. That's there's got to be no chance whatsoever, uh, because if you if we failed once, we've been around for almost 20 years. If we failed once in those 20 years, our, the, I mean, it's just it's the tolerance is zero. Yeah, you, you can't you can't mess up in this. 
Now, when you talk about the certification and that that sort of tightening of that, there's what what are some of the the kind of certification requirements in order to get this? Uh, you know, because I know people they just assume like, oh, it's you know some blanket level of of you know requirement that you've got. But what are the actual technical bits that drive that requirement certification? Yeah, I'm not sure how deep you want to go into this because there's there's well, let's, let's there's go actually, down the rabbit hole. Let's go down the rabbit hole, Nathan. <laughs> bit of history here because um, if you go back into the '90s, um, the Department of Defense was very concerned that if you only overrode a drive one time and you took that platter and you put it under an atomic microscope. Uh, if you wrote a one over a zero, you could see that there used to be a zero there. And so that's where the multiple passes comes from. And the DOD said, you got to overwrite this thing six, seven times. And, uh, and that's where a lot of people wonder, why, why, why should I overwrite something multiple times? It comes from that, the, the concern that uh, if a state-sponsored recovery project was, you know, to, we got to find information on this, on this hard drive. If you put those platters under atomic microscope, this is, we're talking 90s technology here, but if you put those platters under uh, atomic microscope, you could see bit shadows and you could see what used to be there. And this is incredibly expensive. You'd have to take it to a university. This is not something anybody can just do with a software tool or, or do at, at even, uh, you know, commercial, you know, lower end commercial labs. This is, you know, think, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars kind of, uh, or more uh, to, to spend the recovery. But the Department of Defense obviously has secrets that are worth well over that. So that's right. they said override it six, seven times. Um, as, that, uh, as we went through the uh, 2000s, uh, early 2000s, the, the DOD 5220.22 slash M was the de facto standard. It said you need to overwrite this thing six or seven times, depending on how you interpret. It was pretty, it's kind of a Rorschach test if you actually wrote a document. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was six or seven times or six with a verification. And, uh, and uh, that was the standard. Then we got into solid state drives and we found out that, hey, wait a minute. Um, these, these, uh, these drives are now using uh, a little bit of extra, that little best bit of extra space on them for what's called wear leveling. So if you had a one terabyte SSD, the actual space is like 1.1, 1.2, depending on if it's an enterprise class or a consumer class. And so that extra space would get used for prolonging the life. So when you overuse the location, you'd swap it in and out of this protected area. And uh, software isn't normally allowed to, to go there. And so um, around 2000, uh, 2011, it was discovered that hey, if you if you do the, if you do a high end attack on these on these devices and you're actually desoldering the chips, you could read the raw data from them and you would find uh, data that was stored in this wear leveling space. And so all of a sudden now it's like okay, well we we the the we have to have a newer standard because we've got to account for uh, for for this these newer types of drugs. And so, uh, NIST uh, is government U.S. government agency, and they came around and they they uh, put out an updated uh, updated uh, process that took into account this wire leveling space. And now we know that all wipes are not created equal. There's wipes that will survive a you know. A Mossad or an NSA level attack, and there's wipes that you know could be 
uh, undone by someone just in a lab pulling off chips. And then there's wipes that could be undone by just a freeware tool. So we, we do see that there's, there, not all wipes are created equal. Yeah, there's the, my NAS just went belly up. Let me go and get like Disk Raider or whatever, some different like local commercial software and you may or may not get your, your photos back. Yeah, or there's, I've got proprietary information on here or protected financial information. I need to make sure that nobody gets that and, and that's, a, that's a different level. And it's, it's interesting, like even just subtle things in your physical security of stuff right is that we never think of data as like you lock your doors and then yeah you put your laptop in your car in a backpack yeah and and you know all it takes is a busted window and that that data is now in flight and you don't know the state of it and whammo right and those are and the same way that you put it in a truck to send it back for for you know destruction or for refurbishment once it leaves your premises yeah you have no idea what could happen yeah and that's i imagine that's how you ended up with a, a laptop with a, another corporate image on there is there is a breakdown in the secure chain of custody and someone didn't, you know, mark the cage one way and it was, or something didn't get put in the cage like it was supposed to, or, uh, or something was mishandled. Yeah. Someone was mishandling something. So that's, that's, uh, uh, that's why it's so important to, before it even gets to that point that you're, you're wiping it and make, and then, then you don't even have to worry. One of the, the funny situations we had too is so back in the day, they like compact, that's again, I'm dating myself, these compact servers and they had the external RAID units. And so we used to have a stack of, of just bonus drives that were on the shelf in this, this little lab room. And so I was like, oh, let's, I found this extra server. Uh, we've got an empty, you know, empty external storage unit. I just grabbed a, a shelf, you know, grabbed four drives that would fit in there. I shoved these bad boys in, I turned it on. And that son of a gun came up with the full server on it because <laughs> it mean, had re it recovered the on there. We were like, I wonder what's who left this. What this? Yep. I thought it was. It, I thought it was going to be empty, and I'm going to power it up. It'll freak out, and then I'm going to do the reconfiguration. Yeah. But what it did was it came up with a damn Windows screen as if it had just been powered up and had gone away for like it was like Frosty the Snowman, Happy Birthday, <laughs> and there it was, like ready yeah. to go. And yeah. I was like. We, we laughed because of the odds of just grabbing four drives that happened to have been together in a server before. And then the RAID controller pulls the configuration of the order of the drives to rewrite them back to the controller. And it figured itself out and we, we got lucky. And that was just sheer luck. So if you are purposeful in wanting to go get data off these machines, you're, you're going to get a lot farther, a lot faster. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Uh... Yeah, there's just there's there's protection that any that it's not going to be in anybody's face that your data is out there. Then there's okay, someone who's just kind of a, a you know in their basement like me right now could uh, could uh, get the, pull the data back. And then there's okay, um, if somebody really had had tons of resources to throw at this, could they get something back? Uh, is it or it's just academic? Is it theoretically possible that this could happen? I mean, and you know, you and me, you and I would, would say, okay, well, probably for me on my date, it's somewhere in the middle. But when you're talking about, you know, giant corporations and, and 
and government entities, then it's got to be the last one. The interesting thing is, you know, the the classification of risk, and then you have to weigh that against the cost of the way you operate and destroy, right? So, you know, how do we how do we measure that risk? You know, so personal hard drive, I keep my financial data on it, my family's, even maybe my, my dad's or whatever. What, what is the cost of the, and the risk ratio, right? For if I wanted to securely destroy data like that. That's interesting because a lot of times companies and people are the same and they all keep things around because you never know when you're, you might actually want to go back and you're like, oh, I didn't back that up or, oh, what about that doc or spreadsheet? So the, the trade-off is, is that you're leaving it in your closet or you're leaving it in a back room because you, you want to make sure that there wasn't anything that you were missing. But then you're also putting yourself at risk that, uh, hey, if somebody else got a hold of that or somebody was just had some curiosity, you know, then, then that could be out in the open. So it, it definitely is a trade-off. The, the, the process of wiping is not, the process of wiping is, it's quick. You know, it takes anywhere between 10 minutes, 20 minutes on an SSD, takes maybe an hour or two on most platter-based drives. It's, when you, when you talk about that kind of question, it's, am I sure that I've got everything I need? Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> because that's, that's where, uh, if you run wipe drive, there, there's, I mean, it's absolutely irreversible. So you better have what, what, what you needed off of there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a leap of faith that most people aren't willing to go to. Your personal or your corporate responsibility. Like, are, have I kept track of things the way I should have? You know, and if, and if you're organized then you, and, uh, and you know what's where, then, you'll, then go, go ahead and wipe it right away. But if, you're, if, you've, uh, if you've been a little sloppy, then some, some will keep it around. When you're, when you're talking and you're having a sales discussion with somebody on this one, I'm always interested because there's key triggers and let, let's sort of maybe separate. I don't want to pull you into like how, how White Canyon does this, but more like what, what is meaningful when you're in a discussion with somebody? Because one of the biggest things to do is like risk aversion, loss aversion are really strong triggers for like enticing somebody towards needing to buy a thing or do a thing. But, you know, so you've got this neat boundary where you have to obviously, you have a, a fiduciary responsibility to sell software, but you're doing it in, in a way of protecting your customers. Like you're not just saying like, you know, buy, buy this thing because I need to sell you this thing. You, you, you have to find this beautiful balance of making it customer important and ultimately viable for you guys to, to keep going as a business. Oh yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's one of these it's one of these things that uh, it only comes up uh, if you're a CIO. You might hear about something regarding this every three years. It's something that's going to come up very infrequently, but when it does come up, it comes up in a big way, and your hair is on fire, and and we need to have a better. We just got audited. They found data on systems that went from this location to that location. And now we've got to totally re-engineer everything. 
let's let's figure out how we uh, how we improve our process. So it's it's one of these things that's not important. It's 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 a literally on on a scale of one. Hey, I should not say literally. I got to get away. <laughs> <laughs> get away from saying that. It's so hard sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. It, it's it's one of these things where it's a zero or a one for you know ninety plus percent of the time, and then it's a ten. And it's we gotta we gotta have a a better process. We and we need to make sure that this never happens again. It it the interesting thing is over the years, you know, how much have you seen the story change? Has it as it is the the wrong side of the news more prevalent now because of the sort of vast availability of, of information uh, or you know, I, I'm always curious is because of the way that media is so available, has it increased the feeling of, of risk because of that? Oh yeah, most definitely. And it's something where if you've got, um, if you've got a, uh, if you got a news story coming out, our our call volume will go up, not just you know double or triple. It's it's ten times, it's twenty times. Whenever there's a story about about uh, a, a data exposure or data leak, like uh, pertaining to you know an an, an end of life process like ours, it's it's um, it's interesting though because people fall into a few different camps on this. Some will be like like your 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 old company where they'll just hand it off to uh, an ITAB that they trust, and they're like, "You handle this. I don't want to think about it. I know you you uh, you're going to handle this well. I know you're doing background checks on your people. I know you've got secure chain of custody. You're drug testing your truck drivers, and you're putting things in cages. And I I came and I did a tour of your facility, and so I trust. That would be the the first camp." Uh, second camp is uh, second camp is we're going to uh, we're going to do this all all the data security piece we're going to do this all internally and then we're going to rely on our iPad just to handle you know reselling our our equipment um, and it's it's kind of a tide where it it really does go back and forth where some, that we're outsourcing no. They screwed up. We're bringing it back in house, you know. Or, or uh, you know, why are we letting trusting somebody else with this? Why are we handling this ourselves? We should be focused on other things. And and so it really is. Uh, since I've been uh, here at White Canyon, I've seen at least two major tide shifts back and forth between outsourcing and insourcing. And who knows the story that will shift it the other way right now? Right now, it's really moving towards. Uh, companies are are and and government are wiping before it ever leaves them, and they're not relying on the i they're relying on the ITAS to get you know the best price for their assets and and to handle all that. But before it leaves their docks, they're they're making sure that things are wiped. But it's, it's shifted before, and it, and it could again. Yeah, the, I think every every aspect of IT goes through those waves of of insourcing and outsourcing and you know, it, it, there's costs that go with it. There's chain of custody trust that occurs. Uh, and you'll see it in, in the sort of the broad influx of the CISO role, I think suddenly, because when I was at one organization, 
we got an SCISO. We hadn't had one before. Somebody, and that was right around the time Sarbanes-Oxley kicked in. And so they said, okay, you know, all the executive leadership team is signing their name on this line as being responsible for what everybody in this company does. So you all better get your stuff in order, right? And then the, so what they did was said, let's hire a CISO. And we got one of the, we got a CISO kind of like you would get like a Sergeant Hartman, you know, as a, as a gym teacher, it, this was somebody who came from a hardened background and she had a really, really great strong background, but also then immediately backfilled with like nine directors underneath her. And they were feverishly typing away on creating standard operating procedures and, and regulatory things that you had to meet inside. And everything at that point was like, no, stuff doesn't leave the room, doesn't leave the office, doesn't leave the, the parking lot. We had all these kind of like gates and, and boundaries. And so it was a, a bit of an over rotation to that, which was natural because w when you have to think secure processes, start there. And then eventually you get like, okay, look, we support a remote workforce who go around talking to customers. They have to be able to take a laptop to the customer environment. Yeah. And so they, they started to kind of like write in exceptions to it and, and rightly so. And then eventually we realized that's an expensive way to operate. And so they weighed risk versus cost versus history of occurrences. Yeah. And that's what it is. Like, of course, if I, if I put a banana in my ear, no elephants are going to show up right? Beautiful. Is that a correlation or is that just luck? Yeah. If I don't let my laptop leave my site or if I don't let my data leave the environment at end of life, do I get a breach? Of course not because it's sitting in a closet. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what, what are we actually, you know, are we doing the right thing? And so they start to relax until hopefully they don't hit that inflection point of the news story <laughs> or, or something, right? No, that, um, the, the, the big, uh, but I would call the banana year that we're, we're seeing right now is there's a big, there's a big debate going on between physical destruction and, and, uh, uh, software destruction. And, uh, obviously, um, one of them is more, <laughs> one of them is more visceral. One of them is more, you know, you can see the results of it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm actually holding the scrap. From, yeah. from that SSD or that hard drive, uh, I, I, I feel like I can trust this, you know, whereas a software tool is just, you know, it's, it's overriding the data. Big, the, the problems are is that, okay, every time you come up with a, a new way of destroying these drives, someone is going to come up with a new way of recovering data from them. And so there's, there's an arms race there. And then, I mean, for example, one of the, one of the, the, the big innovations in, uh, in physical destruction is they, um, they'll have a camera next to the, next to the grinding you know, machine. And then some of the tech will uh, hold up the drive and show it to the camera. To actually witness the to event, act, right? Yeah, to actually witness, okay, here's the label on the, on the drive. Here's the, you know, I'm showing it so that you can see the serial on it. Now you're watching me drop it in there. And, uh, and someone in a, in a conference said, just print and just print a label and put it on a different drive. How hard is that to spoof? And there you go. Yeah. yeah. It, um, 
so um, it's like un- it's like uncovering a magic trick you're like so what he did was he took the statue of liberty and they put it on wheels and they slid over like or perhaps he just turned it the like there's always an easier answer but yeah. <laughs> it, it forces people to look at like the front door and be like oh wow that's that's really secure i got video of it oh wait a minute what i witnessed was was actually this yeah yeah people, they're distracted by the front door and they don't realize oh someone could just come around the side yeah, it's ne- it's rarely just brute forcing something. It's being clever around the, uh, yeah, around but, the periphery. And, and so it becomes the difference in that case of like, what are that's again like that the risk costs formula you've always got to work out is like, what would prompt somebody to go to this distance to achieve this slight in order to put the label on the fake drive to take the shot of the camera. And and there's definitely there obviously are agencies that you've worked with and companies you've worked with who really are the kind of target where that that slight would be appropriate uh, in trying to fool them. But for the for the common folk, yeah. like your your personal laptop and my personal laptop and and most people they don't necessarily think in this. But for any company that has their proprietary especially, you know, intellectual property, uh, you know, patented secrets. There are things that are still very in need of protection in this way. Yeah. And uh, and obviously the trade-off that you're making is how much effort is it for me to do it in a better way? I mean, is the effort, is it going to take me, am I going to have to hire a bunch of new people? Are they going to have to be expensive hires or can I do it cheap? Or, you know, what is this going to look like if I want to take this, uh, if I want to be more secure, if I want to have a better process? And the, I, you know, this is going to sound like a sales pitch, but when we're talking about disc erasure, it really is pretty, pretty basic, pretty easy. There's no reason anybody should be just foregoing this step because, it's just, it's cheap and it, it doesn't take much time at all. And you can do it when the system is still there in your network and, and you can just have a, a network admin push out a, an executable file to, to the, all the laptops that he's decommissioning and just, it's done. It's yeah. so easy that there's no reason that this step, I mean, I understand if it, you know, the trade-off was, okay, here's what's gonna have to happen. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have, to have a team and they're going to have to have additional warehouse space, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're building a clean room. Like it yeah. doesn't, <laughs> then we can go, but yeah, the idea that we can do so much in software and, and have a very controlled environment very easily. We have, we know the boundaries of it. You, you, you get your confirmation and then beauty hands off your, your life is good. And, and you've, you've had chain of custody the whole time. You don't have to worry about hiring a dozen people to handle it for you. And then if you really love grinding up your drives, and frankly, we have some customers that they're, they're, their drives are encrypted, then they wipe them, then they verify by a second person because the first two people can't know each other, so it needs to happen in a separate room and these people are never allowed to communicate with each other. And then that device goes onto a physical destruction where it's degaussed, ground up, and incinerated. So, I mean, you can take it, as, you can take it pretty, pretty far, and we have, we have one bank that we work with that takes it exact, it, that's their exact process. So some people will take it a lot further than others, but yeah, that, when you start doing all that, then, then you're going so far beyond even for, even for uh, data that's valuable because when a disc is erased properly, it's done. 
and we've got this, that's what the certification really does is it, it says, okay, this has been independently validated. It's trusted by, I mean, we, we work with the U S house, the U S Senate, uh, work with the NSA, we work with, uh, you know, the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, if they're trusting us on stuff like this, software destruction is a viable and, and effective way of, of, of doing this. Well, an interesting thing that you came up, and uh, so hopefully I don't have to redact this whole section, you know, it's it's interesting to be able to share those those logos, right, those store, those customers, because it's an, it's funny that we, we always, when we talk about agencies, even at, at the company that I work at, you know, we always have to be sure to like, you give a little wink, like, let's just say a three letter agency that, uh, you know, <laughs> but you, you get the advantage of being able to call them out by name, which is nice. Well, we've called out a few that I've gotten in trouble for in the past. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a short list of ones that uh, I'm, I'm okay talking about, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's nice. You know, they, uh, we, uh, it's, it's just such a, it's such an, um, a basic piece of technology and we're, we've, we've just proven ourselves so much over the years. We, we've gathered a pretty impressive customer list and a few of them let us talk about them. So it's an interesting thing that when when you were when you're jamming a spigot into a soffit trying to blast out a set of bees as a pest control uh, you know uh, professional, did you imagine that you'd be selling the the value of of data destruction when <laughs> when you went to the next phase of your life? So I so I actually was selling pest control. Oh, even not you didn't you didn't have to physically interact with it. No, You're the smart I, one. No, I you know, but sometimes I wish I what I would have been doing it because I don't know. It, it take you take so much rejection out there on the uh, on the doors. You it's a math game. It's like okay, I'm gonna knock 200 doors, and of those 200, 190 are wait no, about 180 are not gonna be home. 10 are gonna yell at me to get get off of their get doors. off my lawn yeah <laughs> and maybe 10 will talk to me and then i'll sell three or four and that was that was the math game you played so you took it just gobs of rejection and we're running around but i think it kind of thickened my skin and got me used to uh that not everything's going to go go well the first time not everybody's going to say yes and get used to it because that's that's life because of your backgrounds studying you know technology uh you know in, in post post-secondary ed it's it's interesting that so you took that kind of practical literally you know you were on the ground you know knocking on doors how how much did you go back and study the way you were doing that and did you did you bring did you revisit sort of schooling uh in in the sales world or did you just kind of figure this out the hard way and it worked out that you you were able to grind through it i don't know if everybody does this but i certainly do but i always wondered okay if i went back and if i was selling pest control how much better could i be now than <laughs> i was then you know how much better could i do that job you know um because i've, I've learned like i've learned like these all these like little things you know of of Okay, I've learned, I'll, I'll tell you one of the best lessons I've learned in, in sales is, is you gotta be intensely curious about something about the other person. Like just find something that you can be genuinely interested in, genuinely curious about, 
and just ask them questions about something that they're obviously interested in. And I wish I could go back and tell that to, you know, 20, you know, 20 year old Nathan and just say, Hey, wait a minute. When you're on those doors, don't be talking. Don't be just immediately going into a spiel, like find something like, Oh my gosh, that little, that little gnome that you have out there is it's, that's so cool. Where'd you get that? You know, my mom loves gnomes. Where did you, I need to get one of those for her. Start off like that. Yeah. Like just show some curiosity and some interest. Now, if, if you can't, do it genuinely, don't do it because then you come off completely fake and now, now you're getting yelled at, at to get off. But if you can, but find something that you're genuinely interested in that person. And that works for when you're on a door or when you're just having a first phone call and uh, first, you know, sales engagement is find something about them that you're genuinely interested in. And I wish <laughs> I could go back and teach that to 20 year old Nathan. I, Cause I think I, I think I could have done better. Yeah. You'd you'd probably have your own. You'd have a sea of of enterprise sales guys right now. You'd be their boss, right? But what it's I'd say based on what you just described is actually really important, right? The only thing worse than being scripted is being phony. Like scripted is just like you get you get a lot of leeway if you come up and you're like, "Hello, sir. Have you learned about the value of you know X?" And like, and they can tell that you're just like pulling it out of yeah. uh, a cue card that you've been forced to memorize, and you actually get sometimes a little bit of like sympathy from them. Like, "All right, kid. Like, I'll let you. I'll let you yeah. say your thing. Yeah. And I'm gonna stop you now before." And like, and they like, but if you go in there and you can, and it's detectable. Like, and that's why we, we talked at the start, like when you go into sales and you tell your dad, like, dad, you know, got bad news. I'm in sales, you know, <laughs> so, oh no, how did this happen to you? You know, like as if you got caught drunk driving or something like, no, no, like, but there's this real unfortunate, like visceral thing where you, when you say the word sales, that it's something that you're being forced into a thing that you don't want but that's not what sales is sales is like you said finding a genuine connection through a common interest and then bringing somebody towards a thing that you can help their life get better in some way you know it just when you said it out loud that i made a connection uh when they when they uh, as robots uh are getting more and more human-like they have what's called the uncanny valley where there's a spot where, okay, we're okay with robots looking like, we're okay with robots looking like, not at all like people. And we're like, if they are flawless, then we're okay with them looking like that. But there's a spot in between where they're just creepy and they're yeah. putting and you just get this sense of dread or disgust in, you know, and you feel it. And when you just said that about, hey, you can go from, you can be scripted, and you can be and you can be real and genuine but if you're in that middle where you're like it's it's a half effort and and you're not really interested in that garden gnome and you're not you have no intention about telling your mom about that garden then don't bother you'd be better off just going yeah. off the script yeah there's a uh there's a fellow that I, so one of the many weird jobs that I did in life was I, I was like, I looked in the back of the paper and it was like, you know, cash paid daily, uh, you know, no experience required, uh, easy sales job. I'm like, all right, hook a brother up. I'll do what I can. Like this, I needed some cash and I, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do as a long-term job. I'm like, this is short-term. 
let's do it. And it was selling these coupons and these coupons were, for this case, it was a, a muffler joint or paintball organization, right? And the idea is that you buy like, it's like if you go five visits, you pay for 30 bucks and each visit is 20 bucks. So all you gotta do is go twice and you're already in the, in the money. Yeah. And it, literally they drop you off in an industrial area in the morning and then they pick you up at lunch and then they, you eat in the car and then they shove you back out and they pick you up at four. But every morning you would get there and they'd say, all right, kids, here's the, here's the coupon of the day. And you're looking around the room with these like, this like bad news bear set of people who have just so disconnected from each other. They drop you off and you get a, a, a walk along. You get your guy or your, your girl who's your, your teacher, your mentor for the first like three days. Yeah. And the guy that went with me, he had, he was like on the border of creepy, but he did good numbers and you get paid 10 bucks cash out of every $30 coupon you sell, which tells you the margins that they're working on. Yeah. So anyways, the reason why I say it is because this guy would come up and he would, he had this weird, like, hi. And he'd give this artificial smile from Thruway Muffler. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about, and he gave this thing that I was like, I was horrified watching it happen. I was like, yeah. and in the end, he would actually do good sales. And I, I, I kind of, I told somebody else who was there, they're like, how does this guy do so good at sales? I said, I think people buy stuff to get them off their, their doorstep. Like, cause he looks like he's going to make a skin suit out of you. Like that. So he had a really weird demeanor, but he, he did, he did good. And uh, yeah, you can buy it for me now or I'm coming back later. So, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The first prize is you get an hour with an hour with a dinner with me. The second prize is it's a two hour dinner with me. <laughs> yeah. That's but it was so funny that like his his way of doing it and that for me, I was like, man, I like people but I cannot, I couldn't handle this thing. And, and I actually tapped out of the gig for a, a bizarre reason, but uh, there's a fun story in there. But so you, you, did, know, so you didn't uh, try at least a couple of days of being super creepy uh, oh, in the office. So, the, so funny thing, Nathan, I, I, when I started it off and I like the first day, you know, I, I sold two of these things and then I, I had 20 bucks in my pocket. I'm like, ah, it's better than nothing. And the second day I sold three of them. I'm like, okay, maybe if I can work it out so I can get five of these burned down in a day, I'd be okay. And then the third day I was really just hitting the wall. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. I'm not built for rejection. I had no idea what it's doing. You know, I'm just a young, fresh faced kid. And so I went for lunch and there's this little like, you know, bar restaurant and, and they had a pool table. So I, I went over and there's a couple of guys playing pool. And so I'm like, Hey, do you, you want to play? Mind if I, I jump in? The guy's like, yeah, sure thing. And he puts 20 bucks under a beer glass. I'm like, all right, well, you know, why not? So <laughs> I played, played pool and I, I won and I got 20 bucks. I was like, huh, that's neat. You know, another guy comes up, he puts his 20 down. So I, I, I scored 40 bucks during my lunchtime. And then I wow. went back and, and tried to so, sell some, some coupons. Then the next day I went back to the same place at lunch and I, I played three, you know, I played five games and I won three. So I'm still in the money. And, and then I realized, so on the fourth day, I only went for the first half and I basically just like walked around waited till the bar opened, played pool all afternoon, made a hundred bucks. And I realized I was not a salesman. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and, but that was it. I, 
hustling is is absolutely a, a form of, of sales. You know, you've got to convince people that uh, that they could beat you, that they got a sh shot at it. You got to convince them that uh, that you're that you're not not as good as you are. You got to convince them that uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, you learned and a very important part of sales. But the but like you said, the lessons that you could give yourself. So obviously, having a meaningful, a real meaningful dialogue with somebody really changes the way that you interact with them. Like, and what are what's another lesson? Like, if you had to pick a book or like something that you said, oh man, this is the thing that I've, that's been working, and I didn't realize it was a thing. Like, did you ever kind of realize that you've actually picked up a practice? that's probably something that's been studied and realized that it's actually a, a real true way in which to succeed in, in that sales kind of flow. Oh, it's, it, I, I've tried to, I've tried to, uh, you know, keep current on, you know, I, I try to read you know, a, a sales book a month. I've got a, you know, a, a big bookcase full of sales books that I've read and Frank and frankly, you know, uh, it, there's nothing that lesson came to me when someone who was listening in on a call said, how did you do that? Because they, you know, we've tried talking with these guys so many times and I was like, well, first off, I spent the first 25 minutes of the call and we were, and we were talking about, we were talking about uh, college football instead of me talking about wipe drive and and uh, and he and obviously I knew what I was talking about. Obviously I was interested. Obviously I he he found it enjoyable talking with me. But it was just I had intense curiosity because he actually had you know uh, he had actually played a little. And so I was asking him all about you know did he get a chance to play with this guy and did he and oh did you know so yes I did. You gotta be kidding. What was he what was he like? Because I have heard it was it was a genuine interest and. Uh, and so, and people feel that, feel that just that click like, oh, and, and they, they crave it. And uh, um, when I was sending over my, uh, my uh, you know, just some, some things that we, we, you and I could talk about, one of the things that, that I've learned through this, this whole COVID situation is that um, some people are, just don't have time for anything right now. Their hair is on fire, they're, deep, they're putting out fires other people are are missing connections and this is yeah. such a great time for if you can show some genuine interest in people again genuine 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 if you can be genuinely interested in people they're dying to connect and when you when you make a friend now just now the the now it's okay i'm a friend i've got i've got something that might be able to help you let's talk about it and if there's an issue they're going to tell you about it they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If there's, hey, look, you know, you're coming in a little high on the price. If you can do this, then we can work with you. Because all things being equal, people want to do business with their friends. So you get that kind of feedback when you when you wouldn't have if you didn't have that connection. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that that's a uh, there's kind of no. There's no like method. There's no like four step thing of like discover a, a thing that it, the person enjoys. Like it's a, it's a practiced thing that like you said, you have to listen to it and there's moments when you can hear it. And I've, so I've sat in on sales calls with different teams 
And because I'm not in sales, but I know enough about behavioral psychology to figure out when people can connect and, and how to make that connection. And it's funny because I'll you'll hear them say something like, oh, you know, so this is where you see this in, in the product or whatever. And someone goes, oh, so actually, so if you do that, then you can, you can actually do this, right? And, and you hear them, like, they're like, oh, they've genuinely interested, said, yeah. Uh, so anyways, back to the, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like on, the, on Skype or on thing going like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. That's it. You stop right there. That's it. If this conversation, if the demo stops here, you're winning because that person actually wants to move you towards something that matters to them. <laughs> I, uh, so many times when I've been listening in on calls, trying to do some training, it's just, there's that moment that's so critical and they've just given you the smallest opening. And if you're not, if you're not genuinely listening and if you're not, uh, if you're not ready to, uh, to go there, then you'll miss it. And you've, and I wish I could, I wish I had somebody that another lesson would just be, Hey, you know, I know it's, it's a little uncomfortable to, uh, to jump off your script at this point, but they just gave you an opening. Take it, yeah. take it. Yeah. I, and it's, you, we talked before we started recording about like the, what really matters when you're doing like a public speaking event or presentations and shows and stuff is, is not the fact that you're on a stage. And I've, I've been lucky enough to have been on a stage with like 800 people and you're like going through the presentation and, but I build it in a way that I'm actually connecting, if nothing, at least with the people that I can physically see, like you're watching their reactions. But then at the end, it's when someone comes up to the stage and they're like, ah, now the real fun starts because I'm actually really have an interested conversation going on versus like you could have a, even a very interesting presentation. But when you're actually like now you're in a real conversation and that's a meaningful connection, which is so cool when you can and you feel the difference. And that's why yeah, I wish you could teach some of those because if you're new to sales, especially the first thing to do, like, don't go off the script, kid. Whatever you do, don't freeform. Yeah. Like we beat yeah. it into their heads. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, and uh, man, it's. But then, then if you tell them, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be going down this instead of being on the script. I want you to be looking for something that you're curious. The problem is, is that they're going to probably go into that uh, that that valley of between the script and and actually making a connection. And, and it might be that they see less success in there, even though they're actually getting better. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I think it's just, is it age? Is it time? Like, I think that's, you said it before, right? If I could go back to 20 year old Nathan and 20 year old Eric, right. And what I would teach the lessons, but I think the lived experience is actually what brings that lesson, not just the lesson itself. Like you can't like bottle that statement and take it back to the unlived unexperienced version like i wonder you know how easy it is to yeah like, impart that experience not just the lesson <laughs> wow you know i i that's it's so fascinating because you like to think that you could learn from other people's experience you like to think that you could learn from books but maybe it's you can get primed there, but you gotta learn it through your own experience. Almost, I, 
I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm malleable. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm receptive enough that I can learn from books, but yeah, I don't know how, if, if 20 year old Nathan would have actually listened. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is you think of like the, 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 the playbook, right? So the football team has a playbook and just like in martial arts, you have like kata and like forms and, and there's plays that you learn. And the reason is not because you want to teach, go do this one thing, then that will be the next thing. What you're actually teaching is the reaction to an event that allows you to enter into a play that you're familiar with. And I think that's what experience does is let's give them the playbook not so they open with the greatest move, but the greatest move happens and then they, they, the thing happens and then they go to the greatest move. It's a, you have to, something has to occur to trigger. It's the garden gnome. It's the, it, it's the, the way that they, they change the play. It's something that all of a sudden you're like, all right, I know how to react to this and I know where it goes next. And that's that like kind of lived experience that you can bring into it. I, uh, I heard from someone that one of the best things you can do in sales is to take an improv comedy class. And uh, you just, you learn to just yes and, and that muscles in, in, you know, moving things forward and, and engaging and, and not, you know, if, if you're an outfielder, um, you want to be, you want to be primed that you can go any direction, you know? You don't want to be leaning heavy backwards or leaning heavy forwards or leaning heavy to your left or your right you, because you don't know where that ball's coming. You put yourself in the middle and then you, you've got to be balanced. And that's the way you need to be when you go into situations is I, you need to be comfortable with, you may not, this may go away. I'm not, uh, I'm not familiar with. And in sales, that can be really hard, especially if you're new. And especially if you, you know, you're not quite as comfortable with the product as you'd like to be, you know, or, or you've got somebody on and, you know, heaven knows I, some, I'll get on calls with people that just run circles around me, uh, you, know, te- you know, technically. And is it intimidating? Yeah, sometimes it is. I'll, and I'll, I'll, but I also just use that as an opportunity to just ask a question, you know, say, how is that? How is that? And more often than not, it just, it, it moves things forward and, and we, we have a little better connection. Don't ever, that, that would be another lesson is don't it's just, again, don't pretend to be something you're not. And maybe that's uh, you know, don't pretend to be interested in the garden home if you're not, but also if you're not technical, the worst thing you can do to somebody that's, that knows what they're talking about is to pretend that you know what you're talking about yeah. because now all of a sudden everything that you're saying is, is suspect. Yeah. And we, in technology sales, there's nothing worse than selling to a technologist because you're actually not. You're selling to, you know, this is the, always talk about the, the economic buyer versus the technical champion. Like the person who's going to use your product is not the person that's going to sign the check, but they've, you've got to make them, both of those people agree and believe. And so, like you said, if you go in there and you try and drop acronyms and, and give stuff that's, and, they go into like stump the chump mode. They're like, all right, <laughs> time to break this kid down. And it's horrifying to watch because you're like, it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. You see the moment that they detect and it's like sharks sensing blood in the water and all these nerds are like, oh, I'm going to teach this sales guy a lesson. Oh. <laughs> oh, 
Absolutely. And, and frankly, I, it's why I, I use that story about me being a failed, you know, engineer. I love opening up with that because then it puts them on, on a footing of like, this guy knows a little something. He recognizes that he doesn't know a thing. Jeez. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. There might be people that are, that are excellent salespeople that take themselves incredibly seriously, but I don't. And it, it, when you have your guard up and you, when you're trying to protect, if you've got your guard up, people are more likely to have their guard up and no one's receptive to anything. And so I've, I've always, you know, tell the truth, you know, be genuine, be real. If you don't know something, say it. Um, and don't take yourself too seriously. Show a genuine interest. You know, I, uh, these things seem simple, but, uh, it really, it's taken me, <laughs> it took me a while to learn, to learn those, uh, those lessons. You know what, and in a sense, you, when you go back now and you read, like, like I, I'm like such an old, like, I love to study all sorts of weird things. And I remember, so back in the day, it was a Zig, Zig Ziglar, right? Was obviously the guy, he was like the, the sales and motivational speaker. And, and, and it was so funny when you look, you look back on some of the stuff that he told and the stories he told, you realize that, that poor guy was grinding it out somewhere before he was very successful in, in what he did. And, and so all those books, the, the difficulty with a sales book is it's a lesson that's given with all of the negative stuff pulled out. Like it's, here's how you succeed in sales in 27 pages. See, so like, let's, if it goes great, you know, I, but yeah. what if it's, how do you get people through those first couple of years? And, and so I think the relationship, even in the moment, a relationship occurs in a conversation and it can be that short. But if you don't start with that, if you don't, if you don't build on it and build towards it, you can't build from it. So if you, like you said, find out what they enjoy, how, how's everybody doing? I hope you're staying, you know, like you, you, whatever you can do, you know, where are you from? Oh, I can tell by, you know, it sounds like you're, you know, from wherever part of the country, whatever you can do to have a real genuine conversation. And like you said, they're likely now to open up more because if they're open on that thing, then you'll be like, oh, it's a question like how many, how many servers do you have in your environment? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. And there's a way that I tell people that that's how you ask it. You don't say, so how many, how many servers are there in your environment? If you just come at it like mechanistic and like an inquisition, they're going to, they're going to bottle up. But if you say, hey, if you don't mind, uh, I'm just curious how many, like how many servers do you have? Do you have, based on the size of your team, you probably have quite a few, right? Yeah. And they're like, they're kind of incented to go, oh, well, we've got, I should get like, like 3,000. So it's not huge, but it's, you know, it's pretty decent sized environment. Like, oh, cool, cool. You know, and it's a conversation. But what you've done is you've done technical discovery in the simplest possible way. And it, where it wasn't, going through this 10 point checklist, find out how many servers they are, what version of the operating system are they running? How do they get rid of them? Like you can just say, oh, I'm curious, what do you guys normally do with uh, when, like when you're getting rid of a machine, does it, do you guys have like a system to use or a team that you go to or whatever? And it sounds relaxed, conversational instead Absolutely. of aggressive. <laughs> I got I gotta go back to, to something you said just a, a minute ago. And you said, you know, here's the problem with, uh, with sales books. I mean, is it possible for us to learn something only by uh, the good side of things? Is it possible for us to learn from 
you know, if we're just making sales, does that really give you, is that, is that, are you really going to be able to learn anything or do you, would, it, would the perfect sales book have, you know, three negative examples and one positive just, and, you know, yeah. to kind of try and more mimic it because you kind of get corrected. I make, I know this on a podcast, but I'm like making a, you know, a, you know, bouncing pinball motion, you know, back and forth because you go too far this way, then you go too far that way. And so you need correction coming from both sides. That's why sales books sometimes are, are, they can prime you a bit, but it really isn't a, a great substitute because you don't get that, uh, that negative side. You're not getting the left side. You're only getting the right side. Yeah. And I think going back and listening to your own stuff too, like it, being able to retrospectively go back to the moment, like you said, because we've all done it. You blast by the, the perfect moment, sometimes out of habit. And there's nothing worse when like now I'm, I seek it more than I seek anything else. I don't care about how the rest of the flow goes. I'm, I'm just trying to get to that moment and then really start a conversation and really start going into things. And you just, you've learned these sort of techniques and triggers and, and it's the simplest thing. Like when someone asks a question, you're like, Oh, that's a really great question. It's, it's the, seems like the most simple throwaway thing. But when you when you ask a question and someone says that's a really great question, you're like, eh, it is. <laughs> you know? Oh, don't ever miss your chance to give people, uh, you know, that little pat. You know, jeez, it's uh, yeah. Say that, um, you know, and say it genuinely, and just say absolutely. That's a great question because they're coming from something that might be new to them. It might it might be something a little different, and so you can say that and be genuine about it. And the, just the ability to do that. And like you said, be real, uh, you know, and, and it's good. And that's what makes it, you know, Nathan, we, we met an hour and, and 15 minutes ago. And, and I, I genuinely have enjoyed this discussion. I feel discussion. like we, we've kind of practiced what we've been preaching. We, we've done it. And, and I think that's, that's really, it. these are great lessons for folks. I hope they enjoy this as much as I did. Uh, you know, obviously we, it's funny. Uh, I always love like we, we may have started with white drive and, and the white Canyon story, but really I think what's meaningful to why people should look at that or, or should learn, you know, there's a lot of lessons uh, that, that come out of this, but man, thank you very much. This has really been a blast to talk about this. Cause I think that's super meaningful for people that are especially you know, I've got a sort of broad startup and, and tech audience, you know, maybe put that in the back of their minds that the next time they're thinking about, you know, laying the script down in front of them, maybe they should just think about the garden gnome out front first and figure out that there's something that person actually cares about way more than the software they're about to sell them. And because you care about that thing with them, they're going to want to ask about your software instead of you telling them. Oh, that, that reciprocity just, it's such a natural law and it, it just happens and you got to trust it. And, and once you do, your life's going to be so much better. I, I only wish that we could fast forward everybody to this realization. You know, like you said, I, I don't know that we can, but I, I hope that we did uh, in, you know, at least be able to give somebody. And also for anybody that's getting into this stuff, like look to your peers in your company in the industry and that's really what it is like just take those lessons and sometimes you hear those those stories can because eventually you'll map them back and just in the way that that playbook you know it doesn't have to be just your playbook you read everyone's playbook 
and put them together and make it your playbook so that one day you're the guy that's, you know, it's like training day or like a, one of those movies where like they start off as the, like the guy getting his head shaved and first day on the job, 20 years later, you're, you're, you're the one given the new recruit statement, right? <laughs> that's right. And, and you hope that uh, you, you know, everybody wants to make a difference. You hope you can make a difference in somebody else's life. You hope you can make their life just a little better by some of your pain. That's it. That's it. And, you know, in, in everything you do, find a way that you can have an impactful, you know, approach with something. Right. And that's it. If I can, if I can do something for somebody and have a positive impact in some way, in some small way every day, I've had a good day. I think that's, uh, that's how I judge it. Amen. (laughs) Well, Nathan Jones, uh, Nathan, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way if they wanted to learn about your, your company, your platform, yourself, uh, how do they find you online? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, visit us at whitecanyon.com. Or if you want to send me an email, it's just my name, Nathan.Jones at White Canyon. Love to, love to hear from you. Nice. And uh, hopefully uh, once we're released from our, our lockdown areas, uh, you know, once all this world sort of goes back to a, a, a new or a different state, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll get lucky enough to be let able get, to. Let me get you on the record. What's your opinion on when things are going to uh, like, give me like the first major sporting event that has in the stands. That's a good, uh, that, that's it. Boy, you know, I, I think right now people are, are kind of ready, but I would bet we've, we've changed people's behaviors enough that we've impacted the way they, they, they act with it, without them realizing it, right? People, it, it's very normal to stay away from people, not shake hands. We thought like it was really hard to not do it. And now it's really hard to do it. I bet. So I would think that come October, when when the the, the U.S. football uh, famous season is upon us, people are going to be ready. Uh, it'll be different, yeah, but we're ready, you know. And it is going to be strange. I'm, I'm, I imagine my first like sales meeting, you know, where I fly out to Seattle and I and I, and I see them in front of me. Am I going to shoot my hand out there for a handshake or or not? I have no yeah. idea. Or if I do, am I going to be regretting it and making that like, oh man, I just, you know, screwed that up. That made them feel uncomfortable. I'm back. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting. Handshakes are the new uncomfortable hugs, right? <laughs> it's, uh, That's exactly right. <laughs> he really creeped me out. He like, he put his hand out like I was going to Exactly. That's so 2019 that like we actually touch a human anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Well, and it's funny. This is, I I could go on, we could go for hours on just this topic alone, but the idea that this is part of what we think as a conversational and a real interaction, right? When you meet so many person, there's a whole history of why we shake hands and yeah. what, it, like there's many different sort of views on the origin of it, but it very much is a, a, an opening. It's a reciprocation that I'm, I'm giving my hand to you as a, 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 a promise of something that we are about to have a thing occur between us. And, and as a handshake, as a closer is yeah. that we sort of agree that we have just done a thing and we will proceed to the next stage. And now that's missing. I wonder how that's going to affect a lot of things. Fast that that kind of thing could be broken, you know, that yeah. took all this time to evolve to that point. 
uh, who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll find something like we'll be, I'll be like Howie Mandel, and we'll all just be like bumping elbows or something like that. Because that's it. Yeah, well, that's it. It's uh, the uh, germaphobes unite. We we we're now free, everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be it'll be it. It used to be. You know, is it the handshake or the like, you know, you had that uncomfortable where someone does the like, you know, fist into the into the hand. You don't know whether you're supposed to be like, am yeah. I just going to do the bro hug shoulder to shoulder? I don't yeah. now just even doing the handshake outreach will be that uncomfortable. <laughs> I know we're going to be adding another we're going to add, be adding another option there. So these uncomfortable, you know, YouTube videos are going to be more elaborate because we've got more to toggle between. The Japanese had it right from the start. Uh, a gentle bow and a handing of the business cards. No human contact required. Maybe that'll save us in the future. So we'll see. Well, Nathan, I do hope to be able to press flesh and, and, uh, and, and meet in future. And we'll, we'll talk again for sure. Thanks very much for taking the time today. Thanks, Eric. Great talking with you.